with the Lord dealing with you, but I can couldn't get away from this, and I'm questioning yet as to why that God impressed it upon my heart, but there must be a reason, and if there isn't now, perhaps there will be, because what God moves upon and what he speaks to us about, evidently there must be a need for it. But uh, I want to read from the 11th, first verse, 11th chapter, and we're going to be dealing with the last, if the God continues, we're going to be dealing for the next several months on love and different areas of love, and that's God's love. But the Spirit seemed to impress me that we should perhaps deal with this one important subject first, uh, because it limits our ability to love. The 11th chapter of St. Luke says, And it came to pass, that as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in, as in heaven so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And of course, any time we read that, there are certain things that prompt our thinking, and on this one thing it seemed to illuminate itself, and that is, as we and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted unto us. And I want to talk tonight about forgiveness, uh, the abilities to forgive, what it entails, and the formula that God has scattered throughout his Bible that enables us to do probably one of the hardest things and one of the least done things in the church realm, and especially Pentecostal realm. Now, Schofield says, and others say that this saying, forgive us our sins, and Matthew writes, as even as we forgive others, seems to indicate that unless we're able to forgive others that are sinning against us or indebted to us, then God will not forgive our sins. And Schofield says this is legal ground, under the law, not under grace. But I have to come against that because Christ came not to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And he came to give us power to be able to do what the law commanded us to do. The law commanded us, but gave us no power to do it. Demanded that we do these things, but gave us no power to do it. And Jesus Christ came, kept the law intact. Now, I'm not talking about the sacrificial portion of the law that was instituted for the, because of the weakness of man. But I'm talking about God's laws like the Ten Commandments, the other commandments that was laid down for the good of people in the Old Testament. And uh, I'm saying this is necessary for us, and we can be obedient to those laws through grace and through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to notice also that the prayer is by Christians, those are followers of Jesus, and what would be termed as Christians in those days, forgiven individuals, and they're asking to be forgiven of sins. 
Now notice that's a plural, that's not sin, that's sins. And so it's indicating that forgiveness of sin, which is the curse of Adam's race, uh, is different from forgiveness of sins that we pick up even after we become Christians. So we're not talking about the first forgiveness of the curse that we had under Adam, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're talking about sins, weaknesses, failures in our life. Uh, that need to be recognized. Now, first of all, unforgiveness in our heart limits our ability to love like we also love. And love is probably the greatest commandment and the ingredient that binds God's church and God's people together. Without that, there would not be a church. People simply could not get along if they did not know how to love as God loves because it's a mixture of individuals out of different portions of society, uh, different walks of life and different ideas and different opinions that God sees fit to place in his church and it's only divine love of God that keeps that together. Now, you won't have to be reminded of these scriptures, but let me read them anyway. St. John fifteen twelve. you just mark that down and, and uh, believe me, it reads like it is. This is my commandment. You notice it's not an option. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, that's quite a love, and that's quite a challenge. And we have to ask ourselves, uh, have we been able to do this? And if we haven't, then we missed it someplace. Verse 17 says, These things I command you, that you love one another. Romans 13 and 8 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. You see, fulfill the law, which is still left intact. And St. John 13, uh, 3 to 5, I think, or maybe that's 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one to another. First John 4, 2 said, For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. And like I said, that's just a prelude to what we want to talk about, and that is forgiveness, formula for forgiveness. We find in the Bible formulas for life, find in the Bible formulas for happiness, formulas for well-being and success, love and peace, good marriages and broken homes. And these formulas that we find, of course, can aid and even revolutionize our, our living and our lives as individuals and in the church. And some formulas are easy to be uncovered. Others we have to prayerfully and studiously seek for. But if a person is willing to commit themselves, I think a testimony was that to a discipline of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ and the gospel has the power to simplify and to guide us into handling the life's problems that we have. And the greatest problem in life is people hurting other individuals or being hurt. And when this happens, we form a resentment, a resentment that perhaps we think has long since been gone, only to crop up again in the most precarious places in our life, and it disturbs us, and we hardly know what to do with it. 
But of all the formulas there is in the Bible, I want to discuss this one for forgiveness. Now, it's a proven method through Christ of resolving the pain in our relationships with others and also our own guilt and our own self-doubt. There's nothing that hurts an individual more than having hurt somebody else and carrying that guilt around and not knowing how to resolve that or somebody that has been hurt by other individuals and not knowing how to handle that. Now, this formula is really not recorded in any one place in its entirety. You won't find it in one place in its entirety, but it is scattered throughout the Bible. And if we'll study the Scriptures, now we're going to find that forgiveness is not a common concept in living anymore. You just won't hardly find that. There's a common idea that we just rush through life the best way we can, and somehow everything's going to turn out all right. But in reality, and we have to live in reality, we cannot live in a dream world, cannot live in ideal situations the way books present them, but we're living in a real world. And in reality, people, almost all of us, have accumulated a lot of hurt, we've accumulated a lot of resentment, and bear a lot of grudges. And without a way to resolve the hurt that we do to one another and the memories that pile up uh, inside unresolved, it seriously limits and deters our ability to live openly and to live in love, which the Scriptures had commanded us. And nothing contaminates and restricts love more than accumulated resentments in our life. And all of us, I'm sure tonight, want to know how to love better. We want to know, know how to love one another better because in doing that, we find out how to love God better. And finding out how to love God better, well, then we find peace and serenity that God has offered us in the midst of a world filled with adverse conditions. I realize that we can find that in prayer, going to God and asking that, but someplace, somewhere down the line, old resentments, old grudges, Things that have not been resolved eventually comes again and contaminates our life and takes away our peace of mind that we ought to have. So someplace, somewhere, God has set forth in his divine word some formula or way to handle our hurts, to take care of our resentments that constantly occur in our relationship with one another and our inability to admit that they do. You see, I think perhaps this is one of the greatest inabilities of us all. I've heard people say, oh, they did that to me, and they did so and so to me, but that doesn't bother me anymore. And yet, way down deep inside, it's eating us up, you see. So first off, we have to be honest. It does bother us. It is doing something to us. It is limiting our abilities to reach out to them. And if we have hurt someone else, you know, we might say, well, they know I didn't mean it. But that's a cover-up, too. So there must be some way in God's grace to help us to be able to love as he wants us to love. Now, the devil knows exactly where to touch our lives. He knows exactly how to keep us from the bountiful benefits of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he finds the weakness in all individuals. But we find, again, in God's grace, a formula that works beautiful if we understand God's way of handling human pain. 
God does have a way. Now, it's not a human way, so therefore it has to be learned. How many of us know that we have to learn when we come into God, we have to learn his ways? And that is a never-ending process. It's just like we, we have to continue to learn in the natural. We're always learning. And the Bible says in the natural we're always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. But in the Spirit we're always learning and are able to come to the knowledge of truth. So this formula has to be learned and not only does the formula have to be learned on how to do it its practice has to be learned also in other words you're not going to snap your finger once you find out the process you're not going to snap your finger and it's done because it it's going to go against roots that are inside of you ways that you have lived ways you, you have tried to resolve your differences all this time, the things that you've kept in there, it's going to go completely against what might have been set in your heart for a lot of years. So not just saying the right words doesn't produce forgiveness. You know, I've had it said to me, Brother Hoskloff, forgive me. But that's as far as it ever went. And that doesn't produce the results that it ought to be, but acting it out in behavior and thinking, this brings the relief from the resentment and from the guilt that we need, or the release from being hurt by someone, or from hurting someone else, is saying, please forgive me, and then act as if you want them to forgive you, and go about in every possible way that you can at all to show them that you mean that you want to be forgiven, that you recognize your failures. And not only that, but if you have been hurt by someone and you bear resentment against them, maybe they don't even know it. Wouldn't it be kind of you to go and tell them, look, you said something that hurt me. Now, did you mean it the way you said it? And if you did, why, then you owe me an apology. But instead, if we're not careful, we'll keep it inside. We'll say, well, that didn't bother me. Now, I know what I'm talking about. You do that. That doesn't bother me. I didn't take it. But down inside, there's a working. You're wondering, did they really mean that? Was that a slur? You know, sometimes people say something snappy and cut off like that. And you wonder, is that a slur to me? Did they really mean that? Was they kidding? And you have had people that really can dig around about you supposed to be in a kidding way and they're actually meaning it. I mean, they're really firing a dart at you, see? And, and you know this to be so. So you gather a resentment inside of you because you know. Wouldn't it be nice if, if Christian people, especially God's people, would be big enough to face each other in these areas? And if it was, make them back down from, from that fiery dart that they slipped in there. Uh, seemingly unbeknownst to you. So first off, God's way. God's way of resolving difficulties. God's way of forgiving. God's way of accepting forgiveness. First off, uh, we have to realize, uh, had you ever noticed Revelations when it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So the first step in forgiveness is hearing the gospel. You've got to hear the gospel. When we stop in our hurt, and when we stop in our guilt long enough to hear the gospel, then we learn that all have sinned. 
We can look at individuals and say, not only have they sinned against me, but someplace down the line, I have sinned against somebody else. And all have sinned, and that, and that hurt is very real. It's not a figment of somebody's imagination, but hurt is real. It does something to lives of individuals. It stymies our growth, and it hurts us. But the possibility of healing is there through the gospel. You learn that. And God has demonstrated for us the way of freely giving us forgiveness. You see, in the way God gives us forgiveness, God shows us that it doesn't have to be earned. Forgiveness does not have to be earned. We did not earn the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We did not earn that. He just graciously, voluntarily gave that forgiveness to us. You see what I'm talking about? And if we're hearing the gospel, if somebody is a little dilatory in, in asking or so on, we need to work on the fact that Jesus Christ forgave us, that it was voluntary, and we also need to remember we can be angry, and we can be resentful instead of forgiving as long as we want to be. You see, God will not transgress this free will of ours. He gives us a choice. Now, you can forgive. I have given you the grace to do it. But if you choose to keep those resentments inside of you, instead of forgiving, then you can do that. And a lot of people all over the world have chosen to keep resentments there. And also, forgiveness is given out of love. It's a different kind of love than our normal self-serving love, but it's given out of love. And forgiveness works the best when everybody involved goes through the forgiveness formula together. That's why it's important for God's people to be close enough together to work out their difficulties that we have with one another, or it doesn't have to be God's people. And now number two, now number one is hearing the gospel. You've got to hear it, and you've got to believe it. And you've got to discover what Christ did for us. That's the good news. The gospel is good news. In other words, good news. Hey, look, Christ forgave me. Not a thing could I do to, to be worthy of that, but he just did it because he wanted to. Because he loved me. And so I must find how Christ loved. I must find some way how he was able to do that. Well, we can't do it in ourselves. Human mind and human makeup will not affect this sort of thing. So then we seek the Spirit. That which God has given us, which enabled us to act as He acts, and talk as He talked, and do as He did. And so we call upon that indwelling Spirit, and say, Spirit, take control. In other words, we give Him our mind, our life, our thoughts, our, our attributes, everything that we are, we give that over to Christ, and say, God, resolve this, your way. Use me. But the next thing is admission. You've got to admit that you have been hurt, and you've got to admit that you've hurt somebody. You ever notice the prodigal son's reaction and his acceptance when he comes to the father's house? You notice the first thing he did when he, he noticed he admitted the fact that he had sinned. He didn't cover it up, but he didn't say, well, you know, I'm going to go back to my father's house. He will accept me because what I did was because 
old big brother there was seemed to be the the dominant factor there and dad wasn't noticing me and all of this so i really had a right to do what i did but but the prodigal son finally came when she, he hit bottom to the realization that he had sinned he was there because of him not because of anybody else so first thing we do is admit that that's that's confession what is it james says and he's talking to the body of christ Confess your faults, that's James 5, 16, 17. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you might be healed. Now that doesn't just mean bodily healing, that means a spiritual healing. A healing of bitterness and malice and envy and strife and resentments and all of this. You know, Christian people need that type of healing far more than they need their body healed. If God should some way get us to see we need our spirit healed, we need our mind healed, then maybe the body wouldn't be as sick as, as we think it is. Because there again, 75%, and it's growing every day, psychosomatic, it, it's in here, and it's because of resentments and, and anxieties and things that we build up in there unresolved. We just carry them day by day as Christians, not necessarily because we want to, but because we really don't know what else to do with. So they're there. We just walk day by day. And so admission, hearing the gospel, knowing what Christ has done, then admitting who we are, where we are, and why we are there. And that means admitting that you hurt somebody, or admitting that you have been hurt, and you admit that to yourself. We're the biggest loss to ourselves of anybody I know of. Yes, we are. I mean, and the most truthful man in the world wouldn't lie to his neighbor or to his friend, but he would lie to himself. Amen? And he'd carry around a lot of these things, and the devil blinds his eyes. But we have to admit to ourselves what we have in our lives and what it's doing to us and also to the individuals involved. Sometimes it's a two-way street. And it's not easy to look at human hurt our, our contribution to that human hurt without defending it or camouflaging our actions somewhere. Have you ever heard whenever somebody has done something wrong and we're caught up in it and the first thing you hear them say, well, everybody else does it as if that makes it right. <laughs> you see, that, that never makes it right because everybody else does it. And what we're doing is defending our actions upon the actions of somebody else, are we camouflaging the fact that it's not all that bad anyway? Now, you know, somebody's hurt you, it's not all that bad, and all the same time it's eating you, eating you up, and you're guilty because you've done or said something to somebody else, you haven't resolved it, you don't even know whether to resolve it or not, you're wondering whether you'd make matters worse if you tested or not, and, and all of these things, but you have to admit that you have contributed to somebody's hurt or somebody has hurt you and it's not easy to look at hurt human lives and realize that and you can't look at somebody and somebody say well so and so did it you can't say well I know that so that makes it better you have to say that doesn't make it right that isn't right because somebody else is doing it because, because somebody else is sick and diseased does that mean that you ought to be and you want to be because they are doesn't mean that at all but the healing doesn't come, never, until the hurt is admitted. You can never get healed 
of the fact that you've been hurt unless you first admit you have been or that you have hurt somebody else. And it's usually easier to hear somebody confess <laughs> a fact of hurting you than it is to do it ourselves <laughs> to somebody else. You know, you can just stand and listen to somebody ask your forgiveness all the time for things that they've done against you. But, you know, I've found this out in my life. When somebody does that, you can take all types of opportunities to look back over some of the things you might have done or you might have said that contributed to the fact of what they did to you. And while they're making confession to you, you can make it to them and not be lying about it. And so you're laying it all out there. Here's two people, God's people together, forgiven by the grace of God. And we're together, we're going to heaven together, and yet inside we've hurt somebody or we've been hurt by somebody. And here we are. The devil doesn't like this particular incident when it happens. He'll do anything in the world to keep us from doing that. But here's two Christians that love God enough that they come and confess their failures, their inabilities, what they have done one to another. And they say, when you pray for me and laying hands on one another, asking God to forgive one another and heal one another of any wound that might be there. Admission. You've got to admit it. You can't always just look at the other fellow and say, well, he's at fault for everything. Human nature tells us they are. Amen? Because there's not a one of us but what's not perfect in our own eyes. I mean, we can deny it all we want to, but it's always somebody else's fault. I know it is around my house. My wife always makes a mistake. Very seldom, if ever, do I make a mistake. And very seldom, if ever, do I say the wrong thing. It's always her. And I'm sure you wives have probably said the same thing about your husbands. You, you, know, you know, we say, well, I'm not perfect, but if you leave that but off of it, then you've got it. <laughs> if you just say, I'm not perfect, we could have said, well, I know that. But I'm not perfect, but, you see, that leaves us an out to let us say, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm better off than you are. <laughs> all right? You're the one that's causing all, all of the problems. And like I said, it has to be admitted, and we have to confess it. And uh, it's easier for us to sit there and listen to somebody else say they have offended us and all that, and all we just you do. Oh, oh boy, I knew that old so-and-so would have to come. But all at the same time, like I said, if we take the opportunity, knowing how human we are, we can perhaps look back and see in areas we possibly could have contributed to that. Perhaps we could have stirred up some envy or, or some resentment in them that caused them to counteract what we have said and hurt us deeply. Some people are more easily hurt than others. I will grant you that. But all of us can be hurt, and especially by those that are in the same family of God. I mean, I don't mean in the same church or same denomination, but have you ever noticed I thought they were Christians? That's our reaction when something is said, you know, that's not just right and it hurts us. I thought they were Christians. And they probably say the same thing to you. And all at the same time, they're holding resentment there. And it has to be confessed. I'm the fault. I'm the one that did it. I contributed to it. And, and we have to realize again, and let me say it again. I don't know why I keep saying it, but we have to realize they are confessing Someplace down the line, if we look hard enough, we'll find some confessions to make ourselves. And this bonds 
This puts a bond in there, restores a relationship, and it's tighter than it's ever been because you've been big enough and man enough to seal it back together again. What the devil has, has cleaved and caused a little bit of, uh, of, of opening there, God, through his formula and you through your obedience and discipline to this whole body, has welded it back together and made it firm. And there's another reason why spiritual discipline is needed. Because we've got to rise our consciousness of sin and learn to confess the difficult things as well as that which is easy to confess. There's a lot of things that's hard for us to confess. It's easy for us to face somebody and say, well, I realized afterwards that I did it, but I didn't do it consciously. I did it in ignorance. And there are times when we've done that, and yet we know immediately that we have. But it's awfully hard to come up and say, I really intended to get to you. I really meant to do it. Because I was aggravated at you. You caught me at a bad time. And it's hard for us to just look at somebody and say, I meant to do it. But yet, if we're going to forgive, and we're going to work the formula of forgiveness, we've got to be honest. And it's not enough to confess the hurt we have secretly. You know, I mean, people say, well, just tell it to God. Well, that's good. He, needs, he already knows about it. But he didn't, leave. he didn't say he was going to solve all our problems for us. He said he was going to give us the formula, the strength, and the power for us to do it ourselves. That's when we become mature adults in Christ. When we're babes, he does everything for us, just like a mom and dad does everything for the little babe. But after a while, it comes the time when he said, now it's time for you to handle a few of these things yourself. And so it's not enough to confess it just secretly. We ought to let the individual know that was hurt and let them hear our confession. And if they are not big enough to come to you when you have been hurt... <laughs> then you be big enough to go to them and tell them and, and see what happens. You're not going to make the thing any worse. In fact, you're going to alleviate your portion of it. Now, the third step is forgiveness. You have heard the gospel. You, you, you have heard that and, and uh, you have admitted. And now you've got to forgive. You've got to receive it as well as you've got to give it. And the Lord's Prayer reminds us. And you know, that's quite heavy when we look at it. It reminds us that forgiveness is not an optional feature of Christian faith. It's not something that he says we can do if we want to. It is mandatory. Mandatory. It has to be done. And the two-way process, that's Christian way, two-way, it requires discipline. You have to discipline this body, and most of us have things we can do easier. Some can receive forgiveness a lot easier than they can give forgiveness. And some can give forgiveness a lot easier than they can receive it. It all depends upon your makeup. It's difficult to do both. This is where the human nature, this is where the rub comes. You see, possibly we could do one or the other, but it's difficult to do both. But they have to both be done. They are vital. Both of them are vital if we experience the full uh, details of forgiveness. They both have to be done. So there's forgiveness added to that. And number four, 
The fourth step is restitution. Most people come short of that. This step is forgotten sometimes, or it's even ignored because it's inconvenience and it sometimes costs a great deal. Now, there's sometimes there's nothing we can do about what's been done. But other times, there's a lot of things that we can do about the hurt we incur or the hurt we put on somebody else. And when we come to all of these things, now it's time we have asked forgiveness. Now then, if we have hurt somebody, it's time. Our judgmental attitudes and attributes to recover as best way they can, and that's wrong. We can't do that. That's cheap grace. I'll say it again, that's cheap grace just to imagine that we have no responsibility to try to restore what we have damaged. I want to give you, and I could give you a thousand of them, but I want to give you one good example. When we was in a church in Rosie Claire, we bought several fans before we installed the ceiling fans, and we bought some fans for the offices that we had and for some of the Sunday school rooms. And uh, one of the ladies of the church came into my daughter's house one time and noticed a fan there. Identical fan that the church had bought. She was naive enough to think the church had bought every fan that the company ever made like that, I guess. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was a Walmart fan, so you can imagine they was going to make more than that. But, but in, instead of that, she goes off, instead of asking my daughter, where'd you get that fan? She goes off and tells everybody that my daughter is using the church's fan in her house. And then when she finds out her mistake, she asked my daughter to forgive her. But that's as far as it went. She had never made any restitution to the church or to the body. It had gotten all over the church insomuch that the trustees or, or the board asked me if she had the fan. I said, I don't know. I seriously doubt it. We're not missing one. Well, so-and-so told us, and they've told everybody else, almost everybody in the church, it was just buzzing. Isn't that silly? Isn't that little? But yet it happens because it's free access. The devil just got access to a small mind. All right? But anyway, the whole church knew it. And she apologized to my daughter, but she never made a public apology. She never tried to restore what she had done. And there's a lot of people who didn't even know. And if Dad hadn't have been Dad and got up in before the congregation and say, my daughter did not steal a fan from the church, she bought that at Walmart because Walmart didn't sell all of theirs to us, and every one of ours is right in place where it ought to be, why well, then the whole church, some people would have still looked at my daughter because I was the pastor, I let her take it and all of that. It, it, it was doing untold damage. I'm talking about restitution. Now, that's a cheap thing. That's a little thing. There's things go farther than that. But that's just an example of what it means to make restitution. For the damage we've caused, do something about it. If you have got on somebody's case and somebody has, has hurt you and you went out and you've told somebody else about it and then that individual comes around and asks your forgiveness, wouldn't it be nice if you'd go to that other individual and say, they came and apologized to me. And I want to apologize for you for sharing this with you. You didn't have any business knowing it anyway. But our tongue, you know, it gets us into more problems. You know, the Bible says that we can't 
we just can't can't conquer the tongue. It's such a little member, but it tells us it can be. That's through the Holy Ghost. Now that's the reason <laughs> that's the reason morning prayers are good and noon prayers are good and evening prayers are good because that keeps us in the realm of the Holy Spirit and keeps us from doing things. So uh, we have to restore. Uh, we, we have to free ourselves also from some of the guilt feelings that's associated with some of the wrongdoings of our own as well as others. And not only that, but when we make an effort to restore, this injured person then regains his trust in the one that injured them. And as we said a while ago, it, it makes a bond there that is stronger than the one was before. And then number five is we have to say it's finished. It's over. Jesus said those words on the cross. It is finished. In other words, it's all done. And we have to say that the fifth step is absolution. It might not be realistic today. It may be outmoded, but it is still necessary if the healing process to be complete. Because in absolution, we literally say it's taken care of. It is finished. It is over. And the most common perversion of forgiveness is the person who keeps reminding everyone of the hurt and injury done them by somebody else. They keep saying, I've forgiven them, but at the right time, at the right place, we go back years ago and bring it right back up and set it there just as if it happened yesterday. And we haven't put it to final rest. You see, that's where it's, it's got... God, there, there has to come a time when we say it's over. We're not going to speak of it again unless it's for helpful reasons. A reason to help you or to help somebody else. And it's not easy to do this with somebody that has hurt you. It's easy to find our guilt and our fear feelings, uh, especially if we have caused to hurt or somebody has caused it with us. Memories of sin and pain will always remain. But with God's grace, His spiritual discipline, we can remove their sting. And that's what we need to do and complete the forgiveness process by saying it is finished. Now I want you to show I want to show you an example of my own life and let you judge by that just how easy it is for us to be deluded in thinking really we have forgiven individuals. Years ago, when I was having my heart problems, I was supposed to be spared emotional shock. The doctor's orders was it would kill me. And my daughter was doing things and did something. In fact, she just, teenager, she just ran off. And we was at which end. We didn't know which direction to go. And, and I was in pain and everybody was afraid for me. And I was afraid for me because this was something that, that was excitable and, and, and moving. And, uh, and there was something inside that said to me she didn't care. She didn't care if I lived or died. As long as she got her way and done her thing, she wasn't concerned about that. And, of course, this is the thing that I help. And the girl has said time and time and time again, Daddy, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I really mean it. And she was. And I thought, it's all right. I mean, it, it, it's fine. I, I, I've forgiven you. But I found later on, especially when I began to deal into this, I found out that I really hadn't. That when time came, you know, and we got talking about things, this old 
hurt and resentment of what she did was down inside. I had never turned loose of it. I had never said I had never said it's over. It's done. It's cast into the sea of forgetfulness. I may never forget it, but I'm not going to hold it against her. I'm not going to drag it out of the dark every time it suits my purpose. Uh, absolution, it's gone. And it was years after that until, like I said, when I got into this study that I finally realized that the final step in my forgiveness to my own daughter had never happened. And you know what that did to me? That drove me to my knees. That made me to realize, God, I've carried that. It has hurt me. It has hurt her. I've carried that all these years because I didn't know. Because I wasn't aware that, that I had had to say, like you did, it is finished. I wasn't aware that I had to say, I'm never going to use that again. I'm never going to allow it to come between me and her, not another time. And right there at that time, I laid it all down. I still remember it. I still know that that's what she did. But there's a forgiveness in that. I know she was young. I know she was impetuous. And I know she had no idea, though she should have known it, she got all tangled up with what she wanted, and she forgot about what her actions would do to Dad. And like I said, over and over, and she'd tried every way in this world to make restitution to me, and I'd always thought, it's done. It's over. But it wasn't. And that's the final step. You, you see, we can't pick and choose which parts of forgiveness on this formula we can practice and which ones we can ignore when we really want to get on the right place with God. And healing is not completed. I, I, I don't know about you, but, but I hate to have it in there. Uh, I've found a place in God where I despise. I, I, I can't, it makes me physically and mentally sick to feel a resentment inside, unresolved. And if there's any way I can with the individual, I'll resolve it. And if I can't get them to work together with me, my part can be done. I can use this. I can know that God voluntarily forgave me and I don't have to be forced to forgive them. They don't have to do any one good thing for me to do it. I do it simply out of the love for God's creation. Now I've got to admit that it's there and I've got to go the healing process and I've got to complete it. It would be a lot better if all the parties that's involved in it uh, could participate. But if we can't do it with them, we can end a lot of pain and a lot of confusion by completing these steps as best we can ourselves, and it's not easy. Left to the human tendency, we would never achieve full forgiveness process, but by an act of our own will, God's grace and God's love, he makes it possible to forgive even the unforgivable. He did that. And he asked us to do it. And if we can achieve this, if we can, and it is within our grasp, we have achieved the highest concept and advanced to the greatest achievements and possibilities God ever challenged his church with. And from there, a church can soar to the spiritual heights. And truly, it will eliminate the old saying that little foxes spoil the vine. It's not really the big thing. It's not really the great thing. It's the little things. It, it, that little foxes there was, was vermin that slipped in uh, under the wall, in, in the, uh, 
vineyard at that time. You see, the watchman was watching for the big things, the big things that would destroy the vine. He was watching for that. But it's hard to watch for the little vermin that buries under the wall and comes out. Now, it don't destroy the vine. It just spoils the fruit that comes on the vine. See, That's what I'm talking about. Little things doesn't destroy us as Christians, but it spoils any fruit that we might be able to bring forth. So we're living in a day and hour when we need everything erased from us that we can possibly get. Everything that's inside us, get it out. If there's been resentment there, confusion there, or whatever, and you know who it's against and how you can do it, take these four steps, go through them step by step with that individual, if they will go through them with you. If not, you go through with them yourself and erase the pain, the anxiety, and that which comes up. And you'll notice this comes up every time that you seek to get a little closer to God than you are. These things then will portray themselves again and will eliminate, well, they, they'll just help, uh, just be a hindrance to you not to be able to love as God wants us to love. And I don't think there's an individual here and like I said, it's not unchristianizing this, but I don't think there's an individual here that doesn't want to love like Jesus loved. But we've got to first admit that we haven't reached that place yet, that we really haven't been able to love like we love, because love brings forgiveness. It just does that. If we love enough and love God enough and recognize Him enough, then we're going to be able to forgive as He forgives. So take these little tidbits home with you that I have practiced and am practicing and will continue to practice until such time that God takes me out of this natural body where there won't be any need for this type of practice anymore. But I find it, I find it a fight. And uh, I don't know, maybe this is just for me, I don't know, but I couldn't get away from it. And I feel like probably it's for most of you. There's some place somewhere in our lives that there's been confusion as to a hindrance in our life. And maybe we thought it's been all over, like I did. You know, it's gone. I've done it. I've said I forgive you. <laughs> but it's more than seven. It's just more than that. Shall we start? Isn't God good? <laughs> 